Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept, and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nustafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatami al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. One of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is frequently mentioned in the Qur'an and not only is he mentioned frequently, but the reality is that he is mentioned most frequently by name in the Qur'an. is Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. The reality is that our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioned in the Qur'an more frequently than Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. However, most of the references made to the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Qur'an is not directly with name. There is actually no place in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the Prophet, speaks to him directly and says to him, Ya Muhammad. For all of the Prophets you find this. Ya Adam, Ya Musa, Ya Yahya, Ya Zakariya, you'll find this. But for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the few places in the Qur'an where his name is mentioned, it's mentioned in passing. Muhammadur Rasulullah walladhina ma'ahu ashidda'u ala al-kuffar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to the name of the Prophet, not addressing him. And the scholars, they say, in this point, there is a ocean of adab and love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expressing to his Prophet. That he refers to him by only by attributes, by his beautiful uh, sifat and his awsaf, not directly by his name. Uh, the example of this is like someone who... Uh, makes reference to their father or mother with a beautiful attribute, or makes reference to a spouse with a beautiful attribute. Even though it's okay to mention the name, but when someone is extremely dear and near to you, in particular when you're speaking to, when you're speaking to them directly, um, the adab is that rather than referring to them by their name, if there is an attribute that you can use, it only increases um, the love and, uh, and love and muhabba. The story of Sayyidina Musa salam is mentioned in the Qur'an with a lot of detail. Somewhat similar to the story of Sayyidina Yusuf salam, who we previously covered. The difference between Yusuf salam's story and Sayyidina Musa salam's story is that Yusuf salam's story is mentioned in the Qur'an for the most part in one place in one chapter. Surah Yusuf. You'll find his story from the beginning, following through right till the end. There are other mentions of Yusuf salam in the Qur'an, but they are brief and they're quick. When it comes to Musa salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not mention his story all at once and only in one place. Rather, his surah, his name is mentioned in so many chapters of the Qur'an. And in some places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a brief reference to Musa salam, while in other places, the mention of Musa salam is in more detail. The scholars, they say, one of the um, differentiating points between the story of Yusuf salam and Musa salam is the fact that it was revealed over a period. 
And it wasn't being revealed to the Prophet as a story, but rather it was being revealed first and foremost as lessons. Because the Prophet encountered many similar situations that Musa encountered. Musa had to leave his people temporarily and then return. The Prophet left his people temporarily, temporarily, he went to Taif and then he returned. Musa was told to migrate. His people were disobedient, and the final migration did not complete, he did not see its manifestation. The Prophet was told to migrate. His followers were obedient, and the migration was complete, and he did see the fruits of that migration during his lifetime. And there are many examples like this, where so many points, so many parallels between the life of Sayyidina Musa and the Prophet And inshallah, as we go through the story of Musa we'll point them out and we'll highlight some of these, uh, some of these points too. Just to be clear from the get-go, we'll, we will be covering Sayyidina Musa story in parts. We won't be covering it all tonight because there's a lot that needs to be covered and I don't wish to rush through it. I wish to spend some time and discuss and reflect um, his beautiful Qissa and story. Musa was born in Misr, in Egypt. Someone can ask, what was Musa doing in Egypt? When Banu Israel, Israel is another name for Yaqub when Banu Israel are from Al-Ard Al-Muqaddasa, Al-Sham, Kana'an, we covered this before, if they were from Kana'an, how did they end up in Egypt? We covered this in the past, how they ended up in Egypt was through the story of Sayyidina Yusuf Towards the end of Yusuf story in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he sent his messengers to bring his father Yaqub and bring his brothers to Misr. And when they came there, when they arrived there, then they prostrated in front of him. And that's when he said, that this is the manifestation of the dream that I saw earlier on in my life. So after they came and they witnessed Yusuf and saw what he had and saw how he was honored and he was in a very special position in his life and also in terms of his, his, uh, where he was in the hierarchy of the leadership in Egypt, he was in a very unique and, spe- and special position. So the people of Yusuf family, his brothers and his relatives, they decided to stay behind in Egypt. Back home in Canaan, they were Bedouins, they were struggling here. Now they had um, access to resources. There's a narration that you can find in the books that mentions that Yusuf sought from the king a special land for his family members in the outskirts of the city. And the reason why he chose this area that was in the outskirts of the city was because his family was used to living a Bedouin-style life. They weren't used to being hustle-bustle. And when you take someone who lives a slow life and throw them in the middle of a fast life, they can get uncomfortable very easily. And it's at times like that that they may say, you know what, it's time for me to go back home. I'm not sure I can be here. So out of the wisdom of Yusuf he chose a place outside of the city. Another reason why some scholars say he chose a place outside of the city for his family to settle was so that his family wouldn't have to deal with a lot of the idol worshipping that was still occurring within the city. Yusuf was working with the people, he was a prophet of Allah, but there was seriously a problem that, they, that the people of Egypt had. And he didn't want his father, Yaqub who was in this old age of his life, to have to deal with this shirk. And not only the um, shirk, 
but also the, the, the culture and the customs that they had. He, want, he wanted to um, save them from this. Yaqub became old and he passed away in this outskirt area where they were situated through the guidance of Yusuf This is where he passed away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference of the passing away of Yaqub in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَمْ كُنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءَ إِذْ حَبَرَ يَعْقُوبَ الْمَوْتِ إِذْ قَالَ لِبَنِيهِ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ بَعْدِ Yaqub salam is now in a new land in Egypt. He's with his kids. The future of his kids in this land, Allah knows where it's going to take them, how many generations they'll be here. And he wants his children to remember that at the moment when he's leaving this life, when he's leaving this world, that even though we are in a new land, our religion doesn't change. Our principles don't change, our ethics don't change. We are from one place, our skin tone will tell us that. We are, we are Shami people, we are from Ard al-Muqaddasah. And now we're in Africa, we're in Egypt, this is a different land, different culture. This is a whole different lifestyle. But don't forget your asl. Don't forget who you were. Don't forget your faith. Never compromise when it comes to your deen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of this in the Quran, where Yaqub gathered his children together at the time of his death. Am kuntum shuhada id habara Yaqub al maut and were you witnesses and were you present when death approached Yaqub alayhi salam id qala li banihi when he said to his kids ma ta'buduna min ba'di what will you worship after me the most important question where were your where will your priorities be who will you worship a father when he's dying what does he care about for his child the most for some people it's what kind of job will you have? Who, who will you marry? What kind of house will you live in? Tell me about your career. You know, promise me you'll finish off your college. These are things that, 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 that swarm their mind. But for a prophet of Allah, he knows that all of those things will work themselves out as long as his children have iman. This is the most important thing. If you believe in Allah, there's a relationship that you have with Allah that is present. Allah will always guide you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always take care of his. That's why we make dua to Allah. Every time we stand in salah, Guide us to the straight path. The path that you guided those two who your favor came down upon. Those who you favor, Ya Allah, they are guided and we wish to be from those people who your favor comes to as well. And we wish to remain in your guidance. Now his children responded back by saying, Na'budu ilahaka wa ilaha abaika. We will worship your Lord and the Lord of our forefather, Ibrahim salam, Ismail salam, Ishaq salam, Ilahun wahida, one Allah, wa nahnu lahu muslimun, and we have submitted ourselves to him. Now when Ya'qub salam was passing away, one of the requests he gave to Sayyidina Yusuf salam, his son, was that don't bury me here. I wish to be buried with my forefathers. Bury me back with my uh, father and my grandfather in Al-Ard al-Muqaddasah, in the Holy Land. Some historians, they mention that Yusuf instructed people from his community, masters who understood the concept and the science behind preserving bodies, what you may refer to as mummy wrapping. And they were able to preserve the body of Yaqub so that when the time was right, it was transported back to um, Al-Ard al-Muqaddasah. Wallahu alam, Allah knows best after that. It's also very possible, because we do know that Yusuf alayhi salam transported his father's body back. 
that how do you transport a body that's so hot after a period of time, naturally he's not doing it the same day of. Some scholars, they say that they adopted some measures for preserving the body, body and others, they say that he may have buried him in some sort of a, uh, a sunduq or a tabut, like a coffin or some sort of a box. And when he, restored, when he sent his father's body back, what that means is that he shared that, he carried that box back. <clears throat> he sent the container that the body was buried in back to um, the land of his forefathers. Yusuf salam and his children remained in, remained in Egypt. They continued to live here. And his, uh, his brothers settled there, their, their families settled there. And this is where the 12 tribes of Banu Israel, because of the 12 children of Yaqub they began to spread and grow within Egypt. From this, the historians deduce that the children of Israel, Banu Israel, remained in Egypt between Prophet Yusuf and Prophet Musa Now, let's come back to the full circle. I asked at the beginning, what was Musa doing in Egypt when he's from Banu Israel? This is your answer right here. The children of Yusuf remained in Egypt, and it was from these children that um, Sayyidina Musa was born. Sayyidina Musa lineage, I'll come to shortly. Um, what we do know is that his lineage connects him back to Sayyidina Yaqub Musa lineage connects him back to Yaqub what, what we also know about Musa through authentic narrations is that his father's name is, anyone know? Musa bin Imran. What's his father's name? Musa bin Imran. Now regarding his exact lineage, the connection between Imran and Yaqub the scholars have differed. Some say there were three links, some say there are two links between the two. One of the common um, um, lineages attributed to the connection between Musa and Yaqub is the following. That Imran bin Qamit bin Lawa bin Yaqub. Imran bin Qamit bin Lawa bin Ya'qub, and then some historians add another name in there too. So there are three links between Imran and Ya'qub, or as I mentioned right now, there are two links between Imran and Ya'qub. Now, Musa salam had a brother, a haqiqi brother, who he shared parents with, whose name was Harun. And as we cover the story of Musa salam, we will discuss the role of Harun salam in the story of Sayyidina Musa salam. What we know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Musa salam to deal with the fitna, the trial of Fir'aun, the Pharaoh. Who and what is Pharaoh? The historians, they mention that for every kingdom, for every dynasty, their leaders held different names. These titles represented the seat and the position and the people who carried these seats and these positions carried that title during their term. However, that wasn't their name. So for example, Prime Minister is not the name of the person who's a Prime Minister of the UK. That's the name of a title that that person holds during their term. Similarly, the President of the United States of America. The President is there, the name of the leader. So Fir'aun is the title given to this dynasty that ruled over Egypt for a long period almost 30 odd generations, 30 odd generations of pharaohs, they carry this title of Fir'aun.
there was a pharaoh who ruled over Yusuf and then there was a separate pharaoh who ruled over um, Musa Some scholars have argued and they've made a claim that Yusuf he didn't necessarily live under a pharaoh. And the reason why they make this claim is because they say when you study the story of Yusuf in the Quran, there is no mention of any Fir'aun. But when you read the story of Musa salam, the same region, just a few generations after, there is a mention of Fir'aun. Now how is this possible? Because we know the pharaohs of Egypt were present long before the arrival of Yusuf salam, and they continued to live you know, after Yusuf salam as well. So how is this possible? Why is Yusuf salam's mention in the Qur'an not connected to a pharaoh? The answer to this that some scholars have given, they say that even though Yusuf did live under a pharaoh, but that pharaoh was so weak in his position, and so not hands-on and not involved, that the people who actually manage his kingdom are the people the Qur'an refers to, the Aziz of Misr, the Malik. These are different people that the pharaohs would appoint to manage their affairs. They would become old, they would become weak. And Musa and, and Yusuf salam, he held the highest authority in that kingdom, in that time, in that region. Now we come to the time of um, Sayyidina Musa salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the pharaoh that is ruling during the time of Musa salam, is a pharaoh that becomes very oppressive. He was actually very young when he was appointed. He was the twelfth son of his father. But his father chose him to be the leader because he saw that he had the ability to hold it down, to hold the kingdom down, and to, to carry out the, the tradition of the forefathers with power and strength, possibly even grow the kingdom. Who was this person? What was his name? Here once again, the Muwarrikhun, they differ in opinion. What was the name of the pharaoh that ruled during the time of Sayyidina Musa Some scholars, they say his name was Walid bin Mus'ab bin Rayyan. Walid bin Mus'ab bin Rayyan. While others, they say, he wasn't Walid bin Mus'ab bin Rayyan, rather he was Mus'ab bin Rayyan. So they differ whether it was the father or the son who Musa salam encountered during his um, stay in Egypt. Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi um, refers to him by his kunya as Abu Murra. His name was Abu Murra. Another group of scholars, they say that he was someone else and they provide different names. And there's a lot of research done on this. The second group of scholars, they say that it was a whole different um, uh, person and it's not Mus'ab bin uh, Rayyan or Walid bin Mus'ab bin Rayyan. They say this person's name was Minfatah. They say his name was Minfatah. And they mentioned that he was the son of Ramses Athani. Ramses Athani means Ramsey the, the second. It was his son, his name was Minfatah. And he was his third, I said 12, sorry. He was his 13th son. And Minfatah was given the position by his father when his father was no longer able to maintain the affairs of the kingdom. Now, this Fir'aun, this Fir'aun saw a lot of turmoil and chaos during his life. And when a person begins to feel turmoil and chaos, 
And the possibility of that turmoil and chaos is that I may lose my power, I, lose, I may lose my position, my wealth. They start doing things that are erratic. They start doing things that are not rational anymore. They become terrified. And sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets them get away with their vul so that it becomes a hujjah against them. It becomes a proof against them. That your destruction came because of what you did. One of the things the Pharaoh did was he had to create an enemy in order for there to be a winner. In order for him to be a winner, he had to create an enemy. And this is what rulers through history and even current day rulers do. They find one group of people who they will make the enemy and they will, they will manufacture a war against them of righteousness and justice, destroy them, claim victory, win the hearts of people. What this Pharaoh did was, he noticed that Banu Yisra'il were favored by the Aziz of the past and the Malik of the past. So immediately what he did was, he made these the lower castes, the lower people. That you are not original Egyptians. You're not original Americans. Your forefathers are not from America. Look at your skin tone, it tells a different story. You say you're American, you say you're Canadian. Oh no, you're not. And he shut it off this racial divide. That these Israeli people, they're wealthy, they're strong, they're honest, they're hardworking, but we will not sell ourselves to them, neither will we become one of them, we will not accept them. We will view them as the other. And within the people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is how Fir'aun controlled them, by creating division. Allah azawajal says in the Quran, وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيَعًا يَسْتَضْعِفُ طَائِفَةً مِنْهُمْ that one of the tactics shaitan, um, sorry, Fir'aun used to manage and control these people, وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيعًا إِنَّ فِرْعَوْنَ عَلَى فِي الْأَرْضِ وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيعًا That he, he divided the people into groups. That you're group one, group two, group three, you are the most honor, you are more honorable, you are weak, you are, you're qibti, you know, you guys are from the land and you guys are Banu Israel from outside the land. So there was this inferiority and superiority complex where there were some who viewed themselves superior while others viewed themselves inferior. Now, the psychological impact of creating such a social construct is, is damning. It'll destroy people. It'll destroy nations. And if you don't believe me, go choose any country of the world, take a globe, spin it, and drop your finger on it. And the same tactics are being used today. Where someone is told that you are inferior while we are superior. You ask them, why are you superior? Sometimes it's due to the dialect, sometimes it's due to we are on the upper ground, you're on the lower ground. Sometimes it's due to we have more access to resources. At times it's due to skin tone, sometimes it's due to gender. And it just becomes silly after that. At that point it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. There remains no logic behind superiority. In Islam we don't associate prestige simply by looking at what kind of land a person lives in and what skin tone they are. Rather, we look at the heart of a person. Because a person can easily be deluded. You might think that you're superior because Allah has given you so much in terms of material without realizing that in reality, Allah is testing you so much. Superior is that person who has little and has little to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the Anbiya alayhim Most of them were, were attributed with zuhd. These were people who abstained from worldly pleasures. Most of them lived as fuqara, poor individuals. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, he used to make a dua to Allah. And when I read this dua, it, I shake at my core because I don't know if I have the ability to make this dua. 
When we were reading Mishkat al-Masabi, I recall our, Shaykh, our teacher, Shaykh Abdul Rahim, when he came to this riwayah, he stopped and said, we are about to read a dua of the Prophet. Don't say Amin unless you are ready to say Amin." And I was sitting in class and I was thinking, okay, yeah, like, what dua of the Prophet can there be that I'm not ready to say Amin to? You're really judging me at this point. And then he read the hadith, and when we read the hadith, Wallahi al-Azim, I wasn't ready to say Amin. It caught me off guard. It's like someone took a ton of bricks and just whacked me on my head. Like a bag of bricks and just lobbed it on my head. And I was like, wow. The Prophet used to actually make this dua. You guys ready to hear it? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, Allahumma ahyini miskina, wa amitni miskina, wa hshurni fi zumratil masakin. Oh Allah, let me live as a miskin, as a poor person who is always dependent. Wa amitni miskina, and let me die as a poor person too. وَحْشُرْنِي فِي زُمْرَةِ الْمَسَاكِينَ And resurrect me with the masakin, the poor on the Day of Judgment. This is the exact opposite of the dua I've been making my entire life. What dua do we make? Ya Allah, money, 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 money. Ya Allah, this car, Ya Allah, that house. Every time we turn to Allah, it's usually about a business deal, it's about a school, it's about a marriage. It's never been about, Ya Allah, I don't want these things. Ya Allah, save me. If this is what's going to... Uh, misguide me and, and keep me away from you, I don't want them. We've always asked Allah for the newest phone, for the newest tablet, for the newest laptop, for the newest gadget. And here the Prophet of Allah is saying, Ya Allah, don't give me any of it. Allahumma ahini miskina. I just want to stay poor. Wa amitni miskina. Wa fi zumratil masakin. This is unfortunately the whole concept of divide and rule. The tactic the British used as they conquered the world. They went to the different regions of the world and they divided them. You look at the Middle East and you wonder to yourself, what are these lines doing here? What are these borders? Who came up with them? Why? This makes no sense. You know, there's so much research done on to divide or the borders and lines in the Middle East and how countries are divided, and it makes no sense. A white man came, drew some lines and said, these are your countries now. And here we were, what did we say? Okay, that makes sense. These are our countries now. A white man showed up to, to Africa and drew some lines, and what did the world say? Oh, that makes sense. Okay, this is our country now. They showed up in Asia, drew some lines, and what did the world say? Two people who were brothers, who were in one village, one city, they were together. And now there's a line that some human being came and put on the map, and now they're foreigners. They're no longer friends anymore. They're not from the same village or the same country, for that matter. They're not from different lands. These are tactics that people use. We as people, in order to win the game, if this is a game, or win the war if we view it as a war, we have to not give in to these divide and rule tactics. We don't give in to them. We understand when we see another human being that they are our brother and sisters in humanity, regardless of what language they speak. You know, there's a story that one sheikh once, he had a store, he had a store in the market, and there was some fire that went off, and it burned all the stores down except for one store. So the student of that sheikh came running and he said to the sheikh, 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 there's a fire. All the stores burnt down except for ours. Sabki dukane jalge hamari bajge. Everyone's stores burnt down except for ours. The sheikh started crying. He cried and he became angry at the student. He said, Kya wo dukane hamari That weren't those stores ours too? They belong to our brothers. They belong to our sisters. Am I supposed to be happy right now? That my store is somehow safe and everyone else is burned down. Is that, does that make me lucky? That hurts me. That their store is burned down. I'm, their pain is 
Were those stores not ours as well? Do we not have a share? This is what you call brotherhood. This is what you call feeling for one another. That when you see another person's loss, it hurts you. That, Ya Allah, it must be difficult for that person to sleep tonight. They lost their brother. Ya Allah, that person is struggling in their business. Make it easy for them. They must be stressed. It probably impacts their marriage. It probably impacts their kids. Ya Allah, that's probably why they haven't been able to come to the masjid. Ya Allah, if you made the affairs easy on the ummah, maybe they would direct themselves more towards the deen. 